You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, June 7th, which is wild. Somehow we all blinked and 2023 is half over. Anyway, let's not think about that. Let's think about this. Each month, UC San Diego campus staff come together for a virtual staff town hall for information and updates. Panelists include leaders and experts from across campus and health, sharing their expertise and answering questions from our vibrant staff community. The next staff town hall is scheduled for tomorrow. That's June 8th from 2.30 p.m. to 3.45. Topics will include information on the conclusion of Return to Learn and the end of the worldwide public health emergency, human resources updates, UC policy on gender recognition and lived names, as well as information about training now available on handling emergency situations. Visit the events section of the Blink homepage and click on Staff Town Hall to find more information, register to attend, and submit your questions. And that is the news for this week. And now let's send it over to Todd Anderson, who caught up with Suzanne Papp. Hello, podcast world. Todd Anderson, communications specialist here at the mic. Today, I am joined by Suzanne Papp, who is a database administrator here with IT Services. Suzanne, welcome to the pod, and how are you doing today? I am very good. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. All right, so let's jump into it. So I understand that UC San Diego played a prominent role in your past well before you ever began working here. Uh, you received a bachelor's in applied mathematics from UCSD. Uh, right. so let's start there. Uh, what led you to study at UCSD? What was your experience like as a student? And why did you pursue applied mathematics? Well, I'm a native San Diegan and okay. a first-generation graduate student. So my my parents had four children, and they wanted to send them all to university. So um you know, UCSD was the first class university and also we were able to live at home. And so, you know, that's a big money saver. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> so I really, you know, love the beauty of the campus, you know, both as an employee and a student, I really enjoyed it. And the coastal um, location is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So I started out as a uh, majoring in mechanical engineering. Okay. And um, and I really fell in love with mathematics, and uh, so that's that's why I changed my major. Okay. And what what were you hoping to pursue with that degree? If you had any idea at that point? Oh well, you know, I was hoping to become a statistician, but when I got out of school, the uh, what immediately came up was, uh, or you know, I had to make a living and. Uh, at that time, they were snapping up anybody with a, a technical background at all to uh, do programming. So that's what I ended up doing. Okay, so so after graduating, did you jump into working or did you uh, move on to your master's? No, I started. I started working. Okay, I started working at a little startup in Escondido. They didn't. Uh, pretty chaotic. 
Um, they didn't have a lot of software process. And I remember um, being at the customer site, I think it was McDonald Douglas and uh, just biting my nails, hoping that the software didn't crash uh, <laughs> in the middle of the acceptance test. So, and then, then so the next, next job I got was uh, at SAIC, which I think anybody in San Diego has heard of, uh, but I was working on military contracts. And I just really liked the openness with the customer and the software process, the documentation, and just feeling confident about the product. So I was, I really, I really loved that. And, um, and uh, it made, um, it cemented my um, real uh, enthusiasm about having a really good software process. Awesome. Okay. So then from working at either of those two places, did that lead you to go back to school and pursue your master's, which you received in statistics from San Diego State, correct? That's right. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, it was a bit, I, I was a bit burnt out, I guess. I was a bit, so it was a bit of a midlife crisis and a bit of a, a new adventure. I was hoping to make a career change and that really didn't happen. Um, I got the degree, but not the career change. <laughs> so, so, but it was, it was, it was kind of exciting, but I can tell you that uh, a sports car is a lot cheaper midlife crisis than a new degree. <laughs> Well, I would say uh, for the greater scheme of things, there's probably more uh, actual value in uh, in education than maybe the sports car. But yeah, <laughs> as far as just the immediate satisfaction of the results. Uh, so from there, did you move on to working at Scripps or were there any steps in between? Yes, I started working at Scripps as a um, graduate student. And that's the Scripps Research Institute. Okay. Um, you know, we have, because Ellen Browning Scripps, Scripps was a big philanthropist, there's all these different foundations that she endowed in San Diego. So, so people say, what, are you the hospital? Used to say, are you the hospital? I would no, this is the research institute. Oh, okay. <laughs> what was your role there? Um, I was a bioinformatics programmer, and uh, I also did statistical analysis on um, mRNA data. Um, so it was a lot of fun, and my colleagues were great, but I wasn't really <laughs> earning enough to make a living. Hmm, okay. So that's why uh, uh, I decided I had to look for something else. Okay, and then you said just by, you know, the sheer proximity of being at UCSD, and, and you took what the shuttle uh, there or so, something along those lines, and that kind of maybe sparked the idea of looking at positions at UCSD and coming back where it kind of all began? Yeah. Um, well, I was actually, I was taking a van pool and paying a premium, I might tell you, okay. as a non-UCSD employee. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, but actually it was a colleague of mine, her brother-in-law was working and still works for UCSD. He's, he's on my team and he was looking for a DBA and she told me about it. And I, so I decided to try to apply for that. Okay. And so at that point, um, this was pre-IT services being one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, working on the, oh, I forget, oh, working over by the campus pool and the and the library that area okay. that's when we were ACT yeah 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that gets us right into pos your position, which is a, a database administrator uh, for the data and integration services team within ITS. Can you give us an overview of what that position entails and maybe how that role services the university at large? Well, I came on as a specialist in Oracle, and uh, but now um, my I'm part. Well, I support uh, oh, MySQL, Postgres, uh, Oracle, SAP HANA, and DB2. And um, our databases are administrative, not research. Okay. So, but it just, we support, we have a team of six and we support hundreds of databases. And it just, you know, runs the gamut. We <laughs> have uh, finance and student aid and research grants and laboratory safety. And, and oh, it just goes on and on, all kinds of databases. And uh, we, some are on-prem and some are in the cloud. Okay. So it's, it's really an extremely exciting um, environment to work in. So, and just huge, huge amounts of information um, being accessed by various people throughout the university for various purposes, correct? Okay. And so in our pre-interview discussion, you mentioned that you support numerous databases, but you made sure to say you draw the line at mainframe. Now, I'm not a technical person, so what do you mean by that? Well, mainframe is a database, a big database. Uh, not, uh, I'm sorry, not a database, a computer, a big computer. Um, midway between a supercomputer, smaller than a supercomputer, but um, larger than all oh, the servers like Linux servers or Windows servers that uh, you might be more familiar with. And um, they're highly reliable and very stable, but they they just have a different um, operating system, different commands than um, what I'm used to. And uh, so there's nothing wrong with them. We have two, we have two uh, mainframe specialists on our team. And, um, and I just like to concentrate on Linux and Windows servers. Got it. Okay. Um, so your team that you mentioned is working to automate as many DBA functions as possible. What's the motivation behind that effort and what does that involve? Oh, well, there's a lot of um, advantages um, to automating and uh, it frees up the DBA's uh, time uh, to do things like research new technical solutions or improve our monitoring of the database. And monitoring is very important because uh, as I mentioned, we, we support hundreds of databases with a team of six. And then another uh, advantage is that once you've got, once you've got a good automation is in place, then it's much, much less error prone. So uh, if you do something a hundred times, sure enough, you're gonna mess up one time. And um, and then the last that I can think of is that uh, it's kind of a knowledge transfer so that um, if somebody leaves the team or, uh, you know, goes to another company, um, you don't suddenly find out, oh, you know, they were supposed to do, they always did such and such at year end. Now. <laughs> and now, you know, suddenly we don't have the tables we're supposed to because, you know, it was always Joe's job to, to do that. So 
Got it. Okay. Yeah. So like efficiency, continuity, uh, right. you know, exactly. Minimizing the chance for error. Okay. Uh, so I think this podcast is also a perfect platform for our guests to clarify some lingering issues, misconceptions or miscommunications that they inevitably encounter on a day-to-day basis uh, within their roles. So it would seem that one of those situations for you is receiving tickets from developers stating that there is a problem with, in quotes, the database, as in the idea that there is only one database that you're working on, and that's the one that that they have a problem with. So from your perspective, how should developers approach these situations, and what type of information are you looking for to resolve their issues? Okay. Well, a screenshot is always nice, a screenshot of the error. Uh-huh. Uh, developer will probably be able to tell you what the uh, what's the RDBMS, what's the instance, uh, what's the database, and what's the schema. So they probably know all those things, and they can put those in the tickets. Sometimes, if if it's an end user, uh, they might not know, but a screenshot again will help help helps a lot. Screenshot of the error. Okay, great. So moving to big picture perspective are there any like new skills or tools or programs that you're hoping to learn in relation to your role uh moving forward or that may become a necessity to learn uh or if not taking in a different direction are there any conferences or communities of practice for your role or an adjacent role um that you could talk about well i'm super excited i'm going to go to splunk Conference 2023, so with a number of other ITS employees, and um, so I'm uh, definitely a novice Splunk user. We're hoping to transition a lot of our uh, monitoring of databases to Splunk away from some other tools we've been using, like uh, Datadog and Spotlight, and I'm going to go to a three-day boot camp and then three days of conference, so... I'm I'm pretty excited about that. Wow, yeah. So so Splunk, what is the do they have multifaceted services or is it focused just on what did you say data monitoring? Oh no, they they're um it's a very powerful tool. It basically it'll take text files, unstructured text files and index them and parse them. So it's kind of makes you it's almost like a database on the fly. Very very powerful tool. So you know, you have um, servers spitting out all these logs in uh, lots of information, but but uh, Splunk is will organize it for you, and then you can do things like monitoring and alerts, and do analytics as well. And uh, I'm sure it has lots of other capabilities sure. too. And so, the, is the boot camp just like your introduction to diving into that, or is there a specific? perspective behind the boot camp that you'll be attending if you know uh, yeah okay yeah it's it's called the boot camp uh, observability okay um, boot camp so they have i think about three or four of these what they call splunk universities it's on the front end of the conference okay and that's what I, what i'll be doing awesome okay that's enough about work i would say now it's time for some fun stuff where we get to know you a little bit personally um I hear that a positive product of the COVID lockdown for you was taking up drawing. 
So what was the impetus for that? And uh, are you still pursuing that to this day? Yeah, well, you remember in lockdown, suddenly you, we had to entertain ourselves. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I rushed off to Target because Target was still open because they sold groceries. And I thought, well, I'll get some art supplies. Uh -huh. um, so a lot of other people, I guess, had had that same idea because by the time I got there, um, they had some drawing paper and uh, a pack of uh, drawing pencils, 12 colored pencils. So I got those and then I sent away for instructional books and started on that. And uh, it was really fun. And yes, I'm still doing that. Um, awesome. So uh, are, do you have any type of particular um, subject matter that you like to draw or is it just learning whatever you can come across? Um, I have been doing still lifes and now um, I want to do some landscapes. Uh, I do them based on photographs. I take and um it's a lot of fun yeah I always love uh, that. the other thing that oh sorry no that's okay keep going keep going I bought a recorder too but that kind of fell by the wayside because I um I didn't even enjoy the sounds I was making so <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of gave up on it like a recorder that you would do in elementary school the flute thing yeah uh-huh that's fun mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know. I didn't have the patience. It would take years for me to to get good enough that it would be, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I would really enjoy it. So. Yeah, yeah, understood. <laughs> you play an instrument? I do. I play. I play guitar. So I mean, that is my, uh, you know, hobby outside of work. I play guitar and sing it and write music. Yeah. So I'm always interested when people bring up music stuff. But recorder is. Uh, humorous to me of thinking like uh that somebody would would think to go to that it's inexpensive you know I that's mean, true that's true yeah so if you're if you're not sure you know well I guess that's one of the reasons they use it to introduce little kids exactly you know if they don't know you know if they're not sure if they're really gonna yeah. like it then they can start on the recorder and yeah, I guess that's true that. and it, it would be a gateway into playing other woodwind instruments if you yeah started getting good at it, you know, knowing your breath and how to like uh, play the notes and, and finger. Uh, so I guess that makes more and more sense. And if you were really good, you could jump up to an actual flute or saxophone or something along those lines. But I, I guess- mean, Yeah, <laughs> it's a real instrument. I mean, Bach writes concertos for it. You know? That's true. Okay. Point taken. Uh... But, but not the way I played it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, another thing you mentioned was some ocean activities that you are into, which uh, now that I live in Arizona and have been away from the beach for a few years, I am super jealous of any time people mention that. I used to love surfing a lot. So do you want to tell us a little about, about that, what you like doing uh, at the ocean? Oh, surfing. I took a class in surfing as an undergraduate, and surfing is just about as hard, I thought, <laughs> as you would abstractly think if somebody, if you'd never heard of surfing and somebody said, well, there's a sport where you stand on a long board while the waves push you, you know, <laughs> they'd be saying, well, don't you fall off? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I wasn't very good at but I love boogie boarding because, uh, you know, it, it's pretty easy. I'm not saying people can't get good at it, but I just, you know, jump on and get pushed in by the waves and I love it. Yeah. And, um, you know, and also I noticed that I, 
will get about three rides to every one ride a surfer would get because I'm not so picky. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and the other thing I like to do in the ocean is snorkeling, Ooh. which, uh, and that's really nice. Um, what's so nice about, one of the nice things about snorkeling is that the sea creatures are a lot less skittish than the land creatures. So you can get up pretty close to a fish or you couldn't get up close to a bird. Yeah, of course. Uh, any particular spots uh, that you enjoy going to? Well, uh, I like to go to Laguna. I like to go to La Jolla Cove. And then there's the marine room where you can see, you know, the leopard sharks and the bat rays. That's awesome. Yeah, I knew about I knew about Laguna. Uh, my wife has gone there and said that was amazing. And I think they've gone out in, in La Jolla as well. So that's awesome to hear. I think that's all we got for uh, for this. So Suzanne, it was really great having you on the podcast and getting the chance to know you better and chat about your role. So thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thank you, Todd. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.